We show in every single book of the Bible the scarlet thread of redemption and how one book attaches to the other book attaches to the other book, looking forward to Christ and then the life of Christ and then looking backward to that time. His new book is titled The Bible from 30,000 Feet, giving us the sweep of Scripture. Welcome to First Person and our guest, Skip Heitzig. I'm Wayne Shepherd. pleased to have you join us for this week's conversation. These interviews are for the purpose of introducing you to people whose lives have been radically changed and redirected to God's kingdom purposes. Along the way, God equips them to do amazing things in His name, and you'll hear Skip tell his story in his own words in just a moment. First Person is made possible through the Far East Broadcasting Company, taking Christ to the world through radio and new media. For 70 years, FEBC has been faithfully using technology to proclaim the gospel, and its ministry today is touching millions in hard-to-reach parts of the world. For more about FEBC, please visit our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Once again, that's firstpersoninterview.com. Skip Heitzig is pastor of Calvary Albuquerque and ministers on radio and television across the nation. He was a child of the counterculture in the 60s and 70s, but now is a child of God. As we sat down to talk, I asked Skip to start his story going back to those earliest days. Well, I was raised in Southern California, and uh, sort of during a wild time, I remember in 1964 when the Beatles in February 9th were on the Ed Sullivan Show, so I was just a little kid at that time, but... Just it awakened, you know, something, you know, wondrous in me and experimental, you might say. So I kind of grew up with a mindset uh, in Southern California, though I was raised in a religious home, um, a Catholic home. I didn't know Christ until I was 18. So I was just, I had three older brothers. Um, I had a lot of fun riding motorcycles around California and uh, just sort of trying things out. And uh, part of the trying things out were having friends who introduced me to uh, things like uh, marijuana at a very young age hmm. and uh, other drugs. Uh, in, even in junior high school, I remember uh, trying whites, which is a form of methamphetamine, and um, LSD a little bit later on. So I was experimenting with those things early on and you know, recreationally and experimentally. And then I even had friends who were trying to get me into a spiritual realm, but but not a good spiritual realm, um, the realm of auto-hypnosis and astral projection, the idea of projecting or moving your soul across the universe. And, you know, I was just sort of open to anything and everything at that time. Goodness, with friends like that, who needs enemies, huh? Exactly. Well, fortunately, the one who was introducing me to them, uh, one of them, a couple of them, came to Christ. So, uh, we're glad for that, but not all of them. Okay. So when they came to Christ, did they try to bring you along, and did you resist that? Well, they did. And uh, the the first night that my friend Gino told me about Christ, that day we were smoking marijuana in his bedroom. He oh. went to a Christian concert that night, gave his life to Christ, was indeed transformed, and had such joy. And the next day, on a Sunday, he was telling me how... I need to receive Christ or I'm going to hell. And I said, uh, excuse me, yesterday, less than 24 hours ago, you were in this room smoking pot with me, and now you're telling me that I need to change my life? <laughs> so I, I was not only questioning, but I got upset, and I picked him up a little bit by his, his shirt, and I pushed him up against the wall, and I said, I don't ever want to hear that stuff from you again. 
And so, uh, you know, that sort of ended our conversation that day. Yeah. I was resistant to it. Yeah, but it didn't end your friendship? Didn't end our friendship. We're good friends to this day. Is that right? Yeah. So what was the turning point for you? The turning point is I left Southern California, and I kind of wanted to get away. I wanted a, a new start. I was 17. I had just graduated from high school. And I what I wanted to do is get a fresh start and get away from all the Jesus freaks at the same time. So the safe uh, refuge for me was the San Francisco Bay Area, to be more specific, San Jose, where my brother was living. And he invited me to come. I had applied to San Jose State College, State University, and uh, I went up there to work that summer and to get away from all those folks. So, okay, so this this is after the heyday of Haight-Ashbury and all that? Yeah, this is 1973. So okay. that right. Haight-Ashbury had come and gone. All right, pick up the story there for me. Okay, so one afternoon, uh, I had, had applied to San Jose State, was waiting for a um, response uh, from uh, the school, and I had an afternoon off, and I turned on the television in my brother's apartment. He was married. He, his wife was working, and he was working, so I was alone. And uh, Dr. Billy Graham was on television. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and so I thought, interesting. You know, my dad always told me that he's a good speaker. He's good to listen to. He has good stuff. So I thought, you know, I'm, I'm just going to listen to this guy. I, I respect him more than my friends who are kind of crazy in the Jesus movement. So I'm just going to listen to this guy. He's got a suit and tie on. He's speaking to a stadium full of people. And uh, I went to the refrigerator, grabbed a beer, and so it was a beer and Billy Fest <laughs> that afternoon. And I'm listening to him speak. And I, I, to be honest, by the end of his little evangelistic message, I was thinking to myself, "Boy, I'm glad I'm not in that stadium because I would walk down on the field as he was calling people forward. I would probably do that. I mean, I felt so convicted." He just articulated things in such a way that the Holy Spirit used them to get to my heart. So I said, I'm glad I'm watching on television and I'm not there. And I was about ready to turn it off. And Dr. Graham did what he always has done. He turns right to the camera. Yes, he does. And he says, yep. if you're watching about television, you can know Christ. <laughs> and I thought, oh, goodness, he's, he's reading my mind. And I turned it off. I was a little spooked. I went into my room. And I, I prayed a very rudimentary prayer, something along the lines of, I don't get it. I don't know why you want my life. I don't know why you would give your son's life in exchange for my life. It seems like you're getting a very rotten deal. At the same time, it seems like I'm getting the deal of my life, and I'd be an idiot to pass it up. So I said, you know, come into my life, whatever that means, and show yourself to me, and I want to follow you. It was a very, very simple prayer, but that changed it all. Mm. Did you have a, um, an immediate hunger for the word, Skip? I had a hunger for something. You know, he said, write to me, Billy Graham, Minneapolis, Minnesota. That's all the address you'll need. <laughs> and so you know I it did well, that. don't you? <laughs> and uh, I, 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 I tell you what I had a hunger for. I didn't know much of the Bible, but I had a hunger to be around other Christians so that I could share this experience and learn from them. So I had a hunger to leave Northern California, go back down to Southern California and get involved with believers who could show me what the next step was. So what I did is I wrote to Billy Graham. He sent me a book. I got on my motorcycle and I went back home and got involved with the church, Calvary Chapel in Orange County in Costa Mesa and um, just cut my spiritual teeth there and grew some roots. When did your wife come into the picture for you? My wife came into the picture. I was dating a girl and we were, my brother had just died 
and I decided to sort of disengage and go on a three-month vacation around the United States and Canada in my truck. And I was dating this girl. When I got back from that little excursion, I was going to go to my, my girlfriend's house. We were sort of breaking up. We were breaking up at the time. But I went over there for a potluck, and that night I met Lenya. She was across the room. She had white jeans on and a red top. And uh, I, she walked over to me, and she shook my hand, introduced herself. I remember she had a nice firm grip, which I wasn't used to <laughs> from a, a, a lady. And then, and she was a brand new believer. She was raised an atheist by uh, her mom and dad, and had recently—I mean, within weeks—had come to know Christ. So she had all sorts of questions about what music she could listen to, questions about the Bible, and I just saw in her a deep hunger for the Lord, and that's where we met. Interesting that you remember what she was wearing and, and her handshake <laughs> I do. that day. Yeah, that's true love, isn't it? Well, uh, God has used you in so many ways, Skip, but one of the ways he's used you, of course, is in bringing others to Christ. So it must mean something extra special to you when someone comes to Christ through your ministry, knowing your own story and your own background. Definitely. I mean, I... I my life verse in, is in 1 Corinthians 1, where Paul said, You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh are called, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. I remember when I first read that, uh, I, I just got to tell you, I thought, that, that is written for me, Wayne. I mean, that, that's, that's me. God had me in mind when he said, foolish things of this world, because I felt about as foolish as you could get. And I, I'm just, every day, I'm, I'm cognizant of the mercy of God. Were you called to preach early in your ministry? Well, I didn't know what I was called to do. I was a musician. I played guitar, and I played in bands. And so the first kind of Christian thing I did was play bass in a, in a Christian band and for a worship team when, when worship teams with electric guitars were considered controversial. So that, uh, that was part of it. But... Yeah. I had such a wonderful role model as a pastor. I love the way he simply explained the scripture. I was drawn to that. And I thought, I wonder if I could ever do that. So I, I found myself buying commentaries and reading commentaries and and then uh, doing home Bible studies, invited to speak just in little home gatherings, you know, 5, 10, 20 people. And I loved it. And so when when, when others were saying, you know, you ought to think about doing more of this, that put a seed in my mind or I thought maybe I could do that, and and that's where the calling began. Well, Skip, when did when did you uh, pick up and move to Albuquerque? Then, well, it was um, I got married in 1981. Uh, my wife was in youth with a mission. She flew back from Hawaii to Los Angeles, and I picked her up at the airport. That was a time when I was thinking about Albuquerque because a friend of mine was moving here, and I'd always wanted to start a church. And I didn't know anything about this city other than it's not where I'm at now. I'll go and move to this place, Lord willing, and maybe start a Bible study that would turn into a church. That was just sort of in my head. Hmm. So to be frank, I, I asked my wife to marry me about a week after she was back from her Youth with a Mission two-year stint. When she was back that night, I asked her to marry me and move to Albuquerque. So Within a few months, we were married and in my truck moving to New Mexico. Didn't know really anyone here at all except the person who had also moved from Los Angeles to uh, Albuquerque. And so we just sort of started with each other and started a little Bible study 
of a few people that grew into this church. Yeah, and you were working in uh, in some sort of healthcare, weren't you? Right, radiology. My background was I was doing nuclear medicine and uh, computerized tomography. And uh, uh, I got a job out here at a hospital and had an office across the street. And um, on Thursday night, we would do a Bible study. Could you ever imagine that you'd spend all these years in Albuquerque doing what you're doing? No, I, I didn't. In fact, uh, I tried to move back for a couple years to Southern California when Chuck Smith asked me to come help him. And uh, I ended up coming back here uh, at the end of that. We're meeting Pastor Skip Heitzig today on First Person. We'll talk more with him and talk about his new book coming up in a moment. This program is supported each week by the Far East Broadcasting Company. And I'm Ed Cannon, the president of FEBC. These first-person stories of God at work in people's lives always encourage me. And at FEBC, we want to encourage you even more with God's Word. Take a moment to sign up for our daily online 30-day devotional featuring stories and scripture. You can sign up easily at firstpersoninterview.com. Go there today, firstpersoninterview.com. My guest is Skip Heitzig, who is uh, the author of a brand new book called The Bible from 30,000 Feet, and we've heard Skip tell his own story here. I want to focus on this book now for a few minutes, Skip, because this is uh, something that's near and dear to you, obviously. You've, uh, you've uh, preached these, uh, these messages, and now they're in book form. Talk about the book. What, what's the purpose of this book? Well, The Bible from 30,000 Feet is, as it, it implies, it's from cruising altitude, a plane uh, sees things differently than you do in a car. Um, if you go drive through Arizona and go to the Grand Canyon, it's spectacular. But if you've ever flown over it, you you get it. You kind of see how it all lays out and communicates how it begins and ends. And so the Bible from 30,000 feet is a different approach than just verse by verse by verse, which is what I do. On Wednesday nights, I've taken my church from Genesis to Revelation three separate times, every single verse, very slowly and meticulously. But what this does is it's a different approach where when I began it, it was um, give me a year and I'll give you the Bible. So give me 52 weeks and I will give you what the salient principles that the Spirit of God wants to communicate to every generation, those transcendent principles found in all 66 books, you will know them by the end of this uh, study. So um, it, it was an approach that I found people resonated with. When we were teaching through this, um, the church was packed every week. It was packed because people are thinking, I don't need 12 years. I can do this in a year. You're going to give me just the basics you know, the overall picture. You're going to introduce me to the main characters, the main themes, the plan of God's redemptive history. So that's what we did, and and that's how the book is laid out. What have you gained from this yourself? Well, I'll tell you, I'll put it in the words of a friend of mine. I have a friend who said when he was a kid, the very first time he got in an airplane, he was disappointed because there were no lines on the map. You know, like like all the maps he had seen, he expected to look down from the airplane and see state sure. lines. Makes drawn sense, up. yeah. <laughs> and he real he realized, wow, it's this is just one big country, and and for me, uh, flying at the altitude of thirty thousand feet and writing this book, um, it gives you a very different view rather than just a bunch of stories randomly placed and unrelated themes. You get the big picture of one story, and you know. 
Wayne, I could boil the Bible down by saying it's about one person and two events. The one person is Christ. Mm -hmm. The two events are the first coming where Jesus came to deal with sin, and the second coming when he will come and rule and reign with those who are cleansed from sin. That's the whole Bible in a nutshell. But uh, we go a little bit more in depth than that in the book and, and, um, and try, to, try to show them what, what God wants every generation to know about his plan. That follows along with one of the questions I wanted to ask you, if you found Christ in every book of the Bible. Yes. In fact, we have a little acronym for every book, and it's F-L-I-G-H-T, FLIGHT. And we go through facts, landmarks, itinerary, gospel, history, and travel tips. That's the, that's the little acronym. Well, part of it is the G. That's the gospel. We show in every single book of the Bible the scarlet thread of redemption and how one book attaches to the other book attaches to the other book, looking forward to Christ and then the life of Christ and then looking backward to that time. All right. How do, how do you deal with uh, some of those Old Testament books that are, that are pretty uh, intimidating when you, when you crack them open? Well, they seem intimidating, but first of all, you have to begin with a premise. You know, when I went to college, they told me that I had to take some classes that uh, I didn't get to choose. You have to take these courses. And um, uh, there were electives, but then there were other ones that you just had to take. They wanted me to have a well-rounded education. So this is God's curriculum. He put Leviticus in there as part of the curriculum. Probably we would never choose to read that on our own, but he put it there. But I discovered something. You'll never understand the New Testament book of Hebrews unless you understand the Old Testament book of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Yeah, the system of sacrifice, sure. So, you, you, you know, one builds on the other. One anticipates the other, and one fulfills the other. So... It's sort of like what Augustine used to say, that the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed. He was showing how the old and the New Testament need each other. Um, and so, um, if you think about the Bible from the New Testament people, Jesus, the apostles, the only Bible they had was the Old Testament. And the most revered part of the Bible was the Torah, which which includes Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, etc. So, uh, you know, that's the curriculum. It's there for a purpose. And when you understand the salient principle, you're going to understand the New Testament documents a whole lot better. You mentioned this uh, motif of a flight plan that you follow in the book. Can you describe that a bit more and how, how that's useful? Yeah. So we wanted to come up with something at the beginning of the book that just sort of gives some uh, basic information. So we came up with this acronym, F-L-I-G-H-T. First, the F stands for facts. We just talk about the basics. Who wrote the book? When the book was written. The L stands for landmarks. That's a brief overview of the major themes. If you're looking at an airplane, you'd say, oh, there's a mountain peak. Oh, there's a grove of trees. So we're just showing the overview of major themes. Then the I stands for itinerary. That's the outline of the book, the key points, the distinguishing topics, the memorable moments in the book. The G stands for, as I said, the gospel. Show that Jesus is in every book. H uh, in the flight acronym stands for history. So just a, a little bit of historical context for each book to make the book more understandable. And finally, T, travel tips, is uh, the applicational part. How, you, how, how do I take this principle and apply it to my life? Now, we've taken that a little step further. We have an accompanying volume with the larger volume, and that is a workbook for personal use or for groups so that in, in 52 weeks— you could gather together and you will have understood 
what the, what the text of Scripture is all about and how to apply it. Since this began as a preaching series, Skip, and your congregation uh, heard it, uh, what kind of feedback are you getting from people about it? It's funny because what really prompted the book is that we did this series. I've, I've done it at two churches, a church in California and, and here in Albuquerque. And I got such incredible response. So we put it on the radio. I think we put it on television in, in a few different places, a few different states. And I started, you know, people come up to me and goes, aren't you that Bible from 30,000 feet guy? <laughs> so I realized it had its own brand. It had its own identity and that, that I became known as that guy. And so I thought, I think we're onto something. I think this is a, a, an easy and popular approach that could be very helpful as a tool. If, if, we, if we write it, if I, if I do it correctly, it could be a tool that is um, very helpful to the body. Yeah. You mentioned that you've preached through the Bible several times, and when you reach the end of this series, for instance, I mean, how, how do you feel when you reach the end of this, and uh, where, where do you go from there? I go back to the beginning because it's a whole new group. People move. People move on. Uh, they go to different states. They marry, and they get called to different parts of life. So, you know, if you're a pastor and you stay in one place for a long time, people say, how many churches have you pastored? I say, oh, about 15 or 20, but in the same place. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. you you get people who kind of move in and out of of areas of the country. We live in a mobile culture. So uh, what I'll do, so I'm teaching right now through um, the scriptures on a Wednesday night. It's different than my Sunday morning or Saturday night, but so what I'll do is when I'm done with this, I'll just go right back over it because there's a lot of people who hadn't heard Genesis in depth or, um, you know, Revelation in depth. So yeah, I see. Well, perhaps that answers this next question. I, I wanted to ask you, though, what keeps you motivated and excitement in approaching the Word? Well, I got to tell you, I always find something new, believe it or not. Um, uh, I, I love—it's it's strange and probably only a pastor would understand, but I love books that are commentaries— or history, or theology. I love them. I get motivated by them. And I'll, I'll hear or read uh, something that uh, is, is written by a scholar or an observer, and I'll go, I never really put that together. That's beautiful. And, and another piece will connect. And the Bible is, is that book that, uh, you know, it's like, it's like Spurgeon said, some people find that it has no bottom. I mean, it's it's endless. Yeah. And I'm one of those people. I get really excited at what the Holy Spirit shows me in a text of Scripture, and that's why I'm an expositional preacher, because uh, I want I I just want to let the text speak for itself and be able to explain what the original author wanted the original audience to understand, and then grab the principle from that and show how it transcends time and culture. It's like a diamond, isn't it? There's a new facet every time you shine the light on it. Boy, that's a, a good example. You're right. Once again, Skip Heitzig's book is titled The Bible from 30,000 Feet, and we'll provide a link for more information when you visit firstpersoninterview.com. Your support of the Far East Broadcasting Company makes these conversations possible, and I'd like to introduce you to our 30-day online devotional, which will tell just a few stories of the millions of people touched with the gospel through FEBC. With this devotional, you'll be inspired by each day's story, coupled with scripture, that will lift your heart in worship and give you a glimpse of God at work in difficult-to-reach places. You can sign up and receive the FEBC devotional automatically each day at firstpersoninterview.com. As you use it, you'll get a new sense of God working in the lives of people of many cultures. Next week, the story of the USS Indianapolis and World War II heroism. 
Now with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person.